Hello. Wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arkli and this is today's Tech Briefing. Later in the program, I'll be speaking with Nitish Singh, co-founder and CEO of Astrogate Labs in Bangalore, who's making laser-based communication modules for small satellites. That's after these headlines. Amazon, Apple and other US technology giants would have to sell or exit various businesses under sweeping antitrust legislation proposed by America's lawmakers, Bloomberg reported over the weekend. The proposal is among a series of bills introduced Friday by both Democrats and Republicans that would place significant new constraints on how tech platforms run their businesses and give antitrust enforcers more legal authority to take on some of the country's largest and most lucrative businesses. The proposals, along with separate legislation introduced earlier in the Senate, would lead to the biggest reform of competition laws in the US since the first antitrust statutes were passed in the late 19th century. Lawmakers are aiming to rein in dominant tech companies that critics say are abusing their power over digital markets to entrench their positions and thought competition, Bloomberg reported. The five bills introduced Friday, all with Democratic and Republican support, would toughen merger reviews for tech companies, prohibit them from offering certain products and services, and restrict how they treat other businesses that depend on their platforms. Byju's has become India's most valued startup, surpassing Paytm, after the Bangalore-based edtech company raised $340 million recently, TechCrunch reported over the weekend, citing regulatory filings. The investment is part of a $1.5 billion round that Baiju started in April, and investors include UBS Group, Zoom founder Eric Yuan, Blackstone, Abu Dhabi sovereign fund ADQ, and Phoenix Rising Beacon Holdings, according to the report. This funding values Baiju's at $16.5 billion, ahead of PTM, which was valued at $16 billion, after its last funding round in November 2019. While on the topic of online education, Amazon India has launched a machine learning summer school, an integrated learning experience for students to learn applied machine learning skills, making them industry ready for careers in ML, the company said in a press release over the weekend. This program has been introduced to help train students in ML and address the growing demand for talent with with this skill set across various industries. The curriculum of ML Summer School will cover the fundamental concepts in ML while linking them to practical industry applications through an immersive three-day course. Students will get to learn firsthand on how advanced ML techniques such as deep learning and probabilistic graphical models can be used to solve specific business problems in the e-commerce domain such as demand forecasting, catalog quality, product recommendations, search ranking and online advertising. A batch of students from tech campuses in India will be presented with the opportunity to engage through virtual classroom tutorials followed by interactive Q&A sessions with scientists at Amazon. For students with prior exposure to certain areas of ML, the program can act as a refresher course while additionally providing a practical perspective on ML applications in industry. Participants of ML Summer School will be identified through an online assessment. They will also have access to the Amazon Research Days conference where they can learn about technology trends in industry to presentations from renowned ML leaders around the world. 
Electric two-wheelers became cheaper in India over the weekend after the government increased the subsidy on them from 10,000 rupees per kilowatt hour to 15,000 rupees per kilowatt hour under the provisions of the faster adoption and manufacturing of electric vehicles plan. Two-wheeler makers such as Aether Energy in Bangalore are ecstatic. The revision in the FAME policy increasing the subsidy by 50% per kilowatt hour is a phenomenal move, Tarun Mehta, co-founder and CEO of Aether, said in a statement. Sales of electric two-wheelers have grown despite the pandemic and with this additional subsidy, we expect electric two-wheeler sales to disrupt the market and clock 6 million plus units by 2025, Meta said in the statement. Ether Energy already has plans to expand distribution to 30 cities in the next six months and this increased subsidy will help accelerate consumer demand immensely. The government's continued support to drive adoption of EVs with a keen focus on locally built electric two-wheelers will make India the manufacturing hub of EVs, he said. PhonePay has filed a formal complaint with Markets Regulator Securities Exchange Board of India against an investment fund Venture East Proactive Fund 2 and its top officials for attempting to scuttle a deal it had made to purchase OS Labs which operates Indus OS, a mobile content and app discovery platform. PhonePay is the fintech unit of e-commerce company Flipkart, which is part of Walmart. PhonePay has complained that Venture East, an investor in Indus OS, has entered into side dealings with technology firm Apple deliberately in a bad faith attempt to scuttle PhonePay's acquisition of Indus. Singapore-based Apple is a minority investor in Indus OS that has objected to PhonePay's acquisition, Economic Times reported. PhonePay said its complaint SEBI has highlighted serious misrepresentations including a series of unethical and bad faith actions as well as potentially illegal actions that have been and are being continually undertaken by the managing partner, general partner and principal of Venture East involved with this transaction. E3, an annual video game trade show, kicked off over the weekend with big announcements from Microsoft, Ubisoft Entertainment and Square Enix. The highlights included first looks at an upcoming Ubisoft game based on James Cameron's Avatar movies and Starfield from Bethesda Softworks, which was purchased by Microsoft last fall for $7.5 billion, Bloomberg reports. Starfield will be out on November 11, 2022 and will not be available on rival Sony Corp's PlayStation consoles, Microsoft said. The next big event will be Nintendo's showcase on June 15. Private space technology companies are growing in India ever since the government liberalized the rules governing the sector in the country, which is still dominated by the world-class work done by Indian Space Research Organization. With ISRO's help, however, several new space startups are now developing multiple products and services in the space sector, and they are finding customers around the world. I spoke to Nitish Singh, co-founder and CEO of Astrogate Labs, who is innovating on a 30-year-old technology to make compact laser-based communication gear for small satellites talk to ground stations as well as with each other. Astrogate will also offer ground station services to its customers. The Bangalore-based company is preparing to launch a satellite in March next year to demonstrate its technology. It is also establishing its first ground station in Australia. Here's more on Astrogate's plans. Nitish, uh, welcome to this podcast. Thank you for making time for this. For those of us who are not very familiar with Astrogate Labs, uh, tell us a bit about your work. Sure, sure, Ari. And thank you for ha- having me. Glad to be part of this. Uh, Astrogate, uh, we, we started Astrogate Labs with a key focus in mind that we have to revolutionize uh, revolutionize the space communication infrastructure. Uh, just a bit of a background how we started this. So I, uh, I graduated from IT Kharagpur, so right from... Uh, my college years, you know, I was more passionate about aerospace technology, uh, graduated in aerospace engineering. And during that time, I know uh, 
came to know about the Google Lunar X Prize. And there was an Indian team, this whole Indian team participating in uh, in that, and that that was really intriguing to me. Uh, and you know, and that that was the opportunity that I had. So when I graduated, uh, I I joined them. I worked there for almost three and a half years. That gave me a lot of uh, you know the know-how of the aerospace industry, uh, what's going on. So while we were developing, obviously for you know uh, the lunar landing missions, and uh, Overall, uh, team Indus uh, came to be in the top five teams. But uh, during my tenure there, I also came to know about uh, specifically the communication bottlenecks that, that are being happening in the space technology industry. If you talk about larger satellites or your you know, uh, experimental satellites, uh, interplanetary communications, and all those uh, sort of satellite development, which is basically from the space agencies in a sense, they are mostly moving towards a high speed communications and also their problem majorly is they don't get a lot of bandwidth and they have to communicate at a larger distance while the current infrastructure is obviously you know the ground station antennas around 32 meter 34 meters that's a lot of operation cost for them so they are actively moving towards uh, uh, a new technology which is again laser communication but their terminals are very large in the commercial industry i talk about private space uh, uh, companies in a sense, which are mostly right now smaller satellites in low Earth orbit, they uh, they are also having a similar problem. Where right now, uh, over the last five to seven years, you will see the multiple use cases, the business cases have been already validated, and now they are generating a lot of data. Um, one one aspect is that, and they need to bring it down in a cost-effective manner. In the cost of uh, you know fully operating the satellite, one is obviously satellite development and all that and launch cost. But when you factor in the operation cost of the satellite, which is anywhere from four to five years in the low Earth orbit, that's a, a huge uh, amount to pay for the communication uh, bandwidth that you're getting, also the communication terminals and equipment. So we wanted to uh, mature on that. Current RF communication, in essence, is uh, very you know strained under the RF spectrum. So we wanted to do something about that and we figured out, okay, we have to do something in the laser communication space itself. And the challenges for us was basically how to make it a very small product that can be fit into the smaller satellite. Apart from that, there are other challenges which uh, probably we'll speak about in a moment or so. So that's where we started. Uh, my co-founder Aditya, he, he was also working uh, at a team Indus uh, from in thermal, uh, in, in the thermal India. So he is more on the mechanical engineering uh, background. We started Astrogate Labs roughly fall of 2017. Since then, our first aim was obviously to mature the technology and get it to further. Now we already have a validated product and uh, early next year we'll be getting flight heritage on that as well. Hmm. Uh, so explain uh, the, the technology and the product that you have been developing. You said that you are building something that uses uh, laser uh, for communications. So uh, to better understand that, uh, let's understand, you know, uh, I mean, I'll get to people who knows better, at least on the terrestrial ones. So terrestrial also you're using something as optical communications only. The main uh, distinction is you're using optical fiber. So the medium is optical fiber. You have still the lasers and all that coming in. That's right now, you know, ubiquitous on any, any terrestrial uh, internet communication. And the speeds of that, obviously, I don't need to speak much about that. But you can obviously see how optical fiber is, uh, you know, much more uh, high through. 
in terms of uh, using almost the same principles in this for a uh, satellite based communication we typically call it a free space optical communication where you know there is no medium we cannot use optical fiber it's basically just the laser propagating up in uh, atmosphere or even in the free space uh, in orbit the major challenges for it is uh, uh, laser beam you will obviously have seen a laser pointer and uh, uh, you know how the beam is very narrow right imagine that beam you are pointing to a satellite which is around 1000 km to 2000 km in distance at a very smaller target and then consider obviously your earth is rotating and as well as satellite moves up in orbit so you have to very accurately track it otherwise the beam will not fall fall on it and you will not get communication uh the distinct advantage of this is obviously since the beam is very narrow compared to an rf beam you get a lot of uh, you know uh, efficiency in terms of power so very small limited amount of power you can get a, a larger throughput uh this also sort of you know uh, mitigate some of the challenges uh, in putting it into a satellite like smaller uh, power consumption and all that is obviously very attractive that the smaller satellites can trade it off into cost or as well as you know to more get more payload space and other things uh the other very uh, important aspect of it is it, it is inherently secure since the beam is very narrow it's very hard to snoop or jam it in order to jam it you have to come you know very close to the beam in in the beam footprint and do it so that that's the major differences in this and the how we are using lasers in a uh, in the technology itself so that that's underlying technology in terms of product what we are doing right now is uh, maturing our space to ground communication products of the one side of it is obviously the transmitter the transmitter being on the satellite so it's a flight terminal that we have already completed the development of including flight qualification you know uh, all thermo vacuum test as well as vibration test to qualify for it and the other side of it is a ground station which is basically optical ground stations uh to you know give a better uh, picture representative of it is basically a telescope and then a telescope has a back end electronics where you can receive the optical signals modified into electrical as well as decode the data so that's mostly it uh, our first product as i said uh, the flight terminal is completed the ground terminal is also done and this is what we would be uh, doing a space to ground first mission which is coming up in uh, uh, early 2022 uh, so this will you know validate the whole product for uh, actual flight use and then we have uh, potential customers that we are going uh, towards to so this is one one use case that we are actually going with other uh, more in development is the inter satellite communications hmm. uh, so who 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 will use uh, your uh, products uh, what are the kinds of applications that they can be used for yeah so so let me just give you a brief about that so i i, I mentioned space to ground and inter satellite communication for space to ground these are basically satellite constellations uh, who are you know routinely deploying more than 30 satellites uh, and then the bigger companies actually are deploying more than 100 satellites a year uh their end use case is mostly on earth observation information satellites and other so their problem is you know there's there a lot of data that they need to download and they need to downlink and get it to a very reduced cost for them so so these are the end users that we are going through uh, apart from that there is a separate category that has you know uh, recently become very attractive uh and that is uh, the use case of this in a defense uh, uh, communication uh, environment because there you know security is the key uh, issue uh, 
uh, right now as they are leasing much more of this uh, communication links over mostly commercial geostationary satellites and then some of the traditional uh, terrestrial networks uh, moving these links over to laser communication links will provide inherent security so those are the two things that we are looking actively towards on the space to ground communications Intersatellite, I know you will be knowing about the Starlink constellations, the OneWeb constellation that are coming in. And then there is the Project Kuiper also from Amazon. Their, uh, you know, their use case is basically to provide affordable, low-cost broadband to uh, affordable broadband to everyone, right? Uh, they have a different problem in which uh, there is a relay requirement between satellites to transfer data to another satellite so that you, know, you can have a, a very effective link. Right now, mostly they do is uh, they have multiple ground station and then if you have to connect to a different satellite, first it comes to the ground station and then from ground station another hop comes. So this has two limitations. One is obviously uh, since there are multiple hops, the latency reduces. Also, there are areas where you cannot deploy ground stations. The case in example for, uh, you know, uh, the February one uh, Starlink one satellites where they wanted to hop it from mostly polar uh, regions. So they are employing intersatellite communication. So uh, intersatellite laser communications in, in a sense. And obviously you save on the spectrum also. Uh, you don't have to pay spectrum fees for your intersatellite links. So those are other use cases for which we are actually in development uh, uh, of the terminal right now. But uh, early next year, we are commercializing more on the space to ground communications. Hmm. Uh, give us a little bit of the background of how this technology developed and are there other uh... Uh, companies which are already using this in their satellites right so uh, the technology in a sense you know it, uh, it's been in development for more than 30 to 40 years uh, there are companies a couple of them uh, which have flight heritage terminals on space to ground and intersatellite uh, mostly european companies and but the problem with them is they that their terminals are designed for uh, the bigger classes, basically geostationary satellites and that class. The terminals that we are talking about is over 100 kgs in mass and, you know, consumes above, above 100 watts of power. So, so these are mostly for you, uh, the bigger contact satellite developments under this. Uh, what we are talking about is a product that is well suited for the small satellite uh, private industry. That's there. On, on If you see that particular sector, uh, there is a very uh, lack of product. Uh, because of the inherent challenges that comes because small satellites, you know, cannot do much more of a precision pointing. So how do you design a system that's, you know, very small, compact and still able to meet, meet the things. Uh, on that regard, we are, have actually matured our technology much more. Uh, one of the critical aspects is your pointing acquisition and tracking. So early on in the development cycle, we matured it over, you know, multiple prototypes as well as doing a quadrator, uh, putting that terminal on a quadrator platform and verifying all the link ranges. Uh, finally, obviously, the data throughput test that we're able to achieve on GPPS communications and all that. So, so that's, uh, that's how we started. Uh, as of now, we have a fully qualified product uh, that's uh, ready to be integrated on our first mission. Hmm. Give us a sense of how compact uh, your terminal is. Yeah, so small satellites we talk about, they are roughly, you know, a shoebox size to a backpack size satellite. Uh, our terminal are, well, it can fit on your palm. So it just, just to give explicitly the dimensions, it's around 95, 95 cross uh, 76 mm. So it can easily fit on your palm and obviously in, in, the, in the satellite as well. 
on the power consumption also it's it's, it's very low and uh, the major benefit of that is uh, if you see uh, some of the products other in development they also require you know very additional uh, sensors additional precision pointing sensors and controllers to be deployed on the satellite so that's a constraint we wanted to work towards okay what's available on the small satellite market and the product should fit that so you know the customer buying doesn't need to okay i need to buy lasercom but i need to buy five or six more extra equipment for our satellites so th- that's how we have done it mm. uh, and uh, are you already in talks with some customers is there a pipeline of customers and where are you finding them yeah so uh, there are pipeline of customers uh, these are smaller satellite constellation that we are talking about globally who is launching you know their initial first satellites coming up in 22 2023 and then they have multiple they have plans to uh, expand that network and mostly these are what we are saying is information satellites and earth observation uh in uh, here uh, inherently uh, I, i this i forgot to mention uh, the key to uh, indigenize the system uh, so, so these terminals optical communication terminals or any sort of satellite technologies are very much necessary because of uh, you know the strategic national interest that is involved around them uh, we have developed uh, the technology indigenously uh, have obviously matured much of the subsystems uh, included in that and they for that particular essence we are also seeing interest from the different side of things to you know boost up uh, our development plans for a bigger class of terminal as well as a higher throughput so so that's one area that we are working on the other is obviously the commercial uh, private industry uh, private satellite market for which we are which we have already completed the flight terminal the commercial ground stations is our plan to put up in motion next year hmm and uh, can you explain your uh, business model a little bit how will uh, astrogate make money yeah so take the example of a current smaller satellite constellations okay uh, what they do is for the satellite communication obviously you need the hardware so they buy from third party vendors so these would be the rf terminals in essence that they integrate on the satellite and then there are other third party uh, uh, companies in the sense they are called mostly ground segment operators they have you know sites across the globe where they deploy ground stations uh, and then they can provide you this kind of communication service so how much data you are downloading or how much of a time you are utilizing their ground stations you pay the, the satellite companies uh, the satellite constellation companies pay for them uh, we wanted to you know simplify this model as well uh, because there are you know disparate entities uh, the communication terminal coming on the transmitter one side is separate the ground stations a development is is separate and that requires a lot of testing as well and uh, time to put up in orbit is also more if you are not going uh, with the traditional already tested out terminals so what we wanted to do is uh, it's works on a similar model where we have an upfront terminal sales uh, the satellite constellation just buys the terminals and integrate uh, on the satellite and then when when they are in orbit uh, we are partnering with other ground segment operators to deploy our ground stations across the globe uh deploy optical ground stations across the globe so then they can utilize this uh, optical downlink as a service and that would be the recurring revenue as it's generated based on the usage of the ground stations hmm uh and i read somewhere that the first station is uh, coming up in australia is that correct and uh... yeah that that's our first ground station that that we are putting up in australia uh we have a collaboration with the uh, university of tasmania they are giving us a site uh, uh, it's a satellite observatory site 
where already you know uh, bigger terminals are there for mostly uh, commercial communication as well as uh, some of uh, government space agencies missions so that's where our first uh, terminal is coming out uh, to validate the whole space to ground communications and then later on we are looking at providing uh, commercial ground stations globally hmm say in the next uh, three to five years kind of time frame how many ground stations are you looking to set up early next year i mean by mid next year uh, uh, as as we go on our commercial ground station plan we are going to set up uh, two to three optical ground stations and then we will scale up as you know more missions keep, keeps on coming in so when by the time the satellite flies and the by the time you usually the satellite operators look for ground station services uh, roughly 6 to 8 months time frame is there so we want to scale up ground station gradually as we see uh, you know much more clients uh, signing up on that so early two three ground station finally want to expand it to uh, six ground stations hmm uh, i guess it's a little maybe premature or too early to uh, ask or talk about this but uh, in the longer term say 10 years and beyond uh, what are the kinds yeah. of uh, opportunities that astrogate can get into so since we are already you know on the optical communication purely indigenizing it uh, in in the longer term 7 to 8 years what we want to see is our terminals also going on to the interplanetary communication so probably for a mostly for a moon missions and beyond uh, which would be uh commercial on the commercial sector also we see that going so their companies specifically looking to target the more uh much more interplanetary satellites and this thing but obviously also serve the national interest uh much of your space agency mission or uh, isro's missions to moon and beyond hmm so i mean in the coming years uh, i would imagine you'll need uh, more funding uh, is that a challenge uh, for a deep tech company like yours so deep tech is all a hardware companies and inherently it is a is a challenge uh, and space communicate uh, space technology company doubly so uh, but what we have seen over the you know the 2 to 3 years this has very much matured the vc ecosystem in india uh, putting up in space technology uh, and and having their interest on them that's significantly improved uh, recently you will see series a funding for uh, companies like agnicool skyroot has already come in pixel has also raised a subsequent amount of funding and there are multiple companies also coming in that's uh, more on the pre series to this thing uh, we are looking at series uh, a funding also right now as we come closer to our commercial ground stations yeah so i do see as a challenge i mean it takes a little bit more time uh, and that's because you know space industry you will have to make the vcs understand okay so there are technology aspects there are you know that the timeline aspects and how this all comes together and what's the longer term gain so that takes time but uh, it has improved much much more than what we have anticipated when we started astrogate labs yeah so sort of standard uh, question I mean what are the next big steps uh, at astrogate right so the next big steps for us is basically uh, uh, our our first mission that's going on so our satellite integration uh, with the covid and all that we still have had certain delays uh, that's going to start our optical ground stations would be set up in australia that's uh, that's completing so we will have to you know uh, figure out the logistics in this whole corona environment and everything 
and then set up the ground station there. Finally, there would be the in-orbit demonstration phase. And then quickly we are uh, maturing the ground station products and cert certain certification, all that are required. Finally, we would go to the commercial ground stations. At parallel, we are uh, in uh, development of the intersatellite terminals. That's also will be progressed, you know, uh, to a maturity that our current flight terminal has uh, uh, by mid next year. So, so now you you are looking to put your satellite on a commercial space launch vehicle. Yeah, we we have already signed up a contract last year. This is with Momentus and uh, SpaceX Falcon Nine is a launch vehicle. Okay, and and tentatively, when is the launch date? So this is coming in Q one uh, now, uh, Q one of twenty twenty one by March. Uh, Q1 of 2022, March. Hmm. March of 2022. Excellent. Uh, this was really good. Uh, Nitish, thank you again uh, for making time for this conversation. Uh, insightful. And, uh, I hope to keep the conversation going. Certainly, Hari. It was a pleasure talking to you as well. That was Nitish Singh at Astrogate Labs. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts on ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.